Welcome back, Refocus community. Before we get started, we want to give a special shout out to all our listeners around the world from countries in Ecuador, South Africa, to Honduras. We hope to continue to provide content that is relatable to individuals across cultures. Now, the conversation for today, we're about to have an impactful chat with today's guest. So listeners, whether you are walking around doing chores, commuting, or cooking a delicious meal in your kitchen, be prepared to be inspired. Ain't that right, Chris? Yes, indeed. I am pleased to introduce today's guest. Her main goal is to motivate others to pursue higher education by ensuring that they have all the resources possible to do so. For years, she has mentored hundreds of minority, low-income students through the college application process. Her work has ensured acceptance to schools like Stanford, Yale, Harvard, NYU. She's the co-founder of Vale Sunyar Scholarship. And additionally, she has worked in the migration-related sector at organizations like the Center for New Americans, the New Mexico Law Office of Public Defender, and the Roday Law Firm. She is Daisy Astorga. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today, Daisy. How are you? Thank you for having me over, and I'm excited to be a part of this. I've been listening to your podcast since it began, and it'll be a great chat. Oh, we are honored. We are honored, Daisy. No, for real, though, that you have been a, an important person in just for us getting the idea started of the next conversations as Refocus has advanced throughout the past few months. So we thank you for listening and and for, like Chris said, being with us today and just listening to your introduction is is motivating. So I can't wait to to talk about everything that we're about to embark on right now. And I just want to point out that you are definitely one of the role models I, I, I look up to and respect the most in, in my friend's circle, without a doubt. And it's your humility and simplicity that radiate in the moment that you walk into a room. So welcome to Refocus. Thank you so much. So you started your own scholarship while in college, so Alessoñar, eh, which translates to, correct me if I'm wrong, it's worth it to dream, it's worth it to dream, or the dream is worth it. What would you translate it to? I had a struggle in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I for me it was translated to, it's worth it to dream. Okay. I felt like I wanted a title that really reflected uh, that everybody has should have the opportunity to dream and to pursue their their dreams and goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. Uh, that's the way I, I thought I'd translate it as well. And it encourages first-generation Latino students to pursue a college degree and, and alleviate some of the financial burdens involved, such as buying a laptop. Now, what motivated you to start this project? What's the story behind Cevale Sonia? Yes. Uh, so in my first year of college, I attended Smith College in Massachusetts. And while I was away, I decided to mentor high school students because I felt that mentorship was very important and I was mentored in many aspects of my life. But I was also not mentored in certain aspects and I felt that I needed to give back to my community and just to be there for at least one person. So I decided to mentor students and I was mentoring students from across the U.S. but also back in my hometown in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And when I went back for fall break, I talked to some of my mentees. I had two. One was a sophomore at a Trisco Heritage Academy High School. The other one was a senior. And we were talking about what were the steps to apply to college, how to apply to scholarship. And we met at a local library and I asked them to bring their laptop. And they told me, hey, I don't have a laptop. So then I told them, hey, I'll take mine. 
and when we met at the library and we discussed each step of what needed to be done, I realized that they didn't have a laptop and that used to be me. I think I forgot once I was in college, kind of the struggle of how it was not to have a laptop, a personal laptop of your own that you didn't have to borrow or go to a library, public or at school. In that sense, I remembered that when I applied to college, uh, my mom, uh, for my senior year, I begged her for a laptop and she decided to buy me one. And she told me it was my Christmas and my birthday present. And it was about $500. And with that laptop, I was able to apply to over 50 scholarships. And I was able to apply to Smith College, which I ended up getting into and getting scholarships like the Gates Millennium Scholarship and many others. So after meeting with the students, uh, I just had it in my head. I have to make sure these two students have a laptop. They needed to apply to volunteering opportunities, internship, homework, scholarship, college. And then when they're in the college, they need a laptop even more. As I was going through my first year, I realized my laptop was my world. It was the most expensive thing I owned that I was able to get paid by scholarship. And I knew they really needed one too. After that, I, I went to my network and I emailed everybody I knew from attorneys, teachers at a Trisco. I just emailed everybody I could. And in less than 24 hours, one of my mentors, that's a lawyer, reached out to a law firm and that law firm donated two laptops to the students. However, so we accepted them. However, many people did reply uh, and they offered to donate money or to see if they could get other used laptops. And one of the persons was Matt Salas. And Matt Salas founded, is one of the founders of the B Scholarship, which stands for Burqueños Education Empowerment Scholarship in Albuquerque. And I had received that scholarship from them and that helped pay my flight to Massachusetts. So I emailed him and I told him, hey, Matt, I know you helped create a scholarship. I don't have experience in this, but I've received so much support to get laptops to these students. What would you say about co-founding a scholarship to ensure students from 9 to 12 and in college have a laptop? And Matt, without a doubt, was on board. So we planned it for about one year. And in 2018, we were able to open it. And we've been able to award over 10 laptops the last two years uh, to students in New Mexico that are low income, wow, that's, Latinx, that's and from 12, 9 to 12. I, I appreciate, I mean, all the work that you do and just the fact that you were also able to to see the gap, you know, for you having received the mentorship growing up as, as a student and then filling that gap for others. So the big factor of the scholarships of La Señora is to help others so that they can also later help their peers, you know, from, from similar backgrounds, from what I'm understanding is it is a constant cycle of gratitude and, and if you so call it never-ending empowerment of I was helped and I want to do the same for you. So has, has the notion of giving back to your community always been something that influences you and your passions? Yes, of course. I'm the proud daughter of a Mexican immigrant single mother and I come from a low-income household, and uh, my mom has really just showed me what giving means. You know, we, do, we didn't have much, but every time we went to Mexico or we were in New Mexico and someone needed something, my mother would always give them something because they, she would always say, like, you know, you just have to help people and be kind to them. 
So I felt like this was a great opportunity to do that. And I also felt that I shouldn't be the exception. It shouldn't be like, oh, look at Daisy. She got a full ride scholarship. She went to college. Wow, look at her. She did it. It should be more students that don't have the opportunity to be able to have resources so they can do these things. That's a beautiful segue into our next question. Daisy, in your opinion, why is it important for minority students to attend college? How does it, in your view, affect the entire community? Yes, I feel like growing up, uh, my mother always told me my education was the most important thing I needed to do and I had. However, we never really discussed college because she only went up to sixth grade in Mexico and my grandpa only went up to first grade in Mexico. But she still had a sense that it was important to get a higher education. It was important to go beyond high school and pursue something and love what you're doing and obviously make good money. So in that sense, I think for students, it's important, especially minority students, it's important to go to college because it allows them to have more opportunities in life. The obvious one is make more money. But also, I think college really allows you to figure out who you are, embrace the things you love about yourself, but also things that maybe your whole life you grew up being told that they were you. But then you figure out like, hey, maybe I don't want some of these things. So I think college is also about growing and just figuring out different things in life. I know. I totally, I totally agree. And I was reading one a, a testimony on the website of the scholarship itself, going back to, to it a, a little bit uh, of a student that was able to apply to over, I think, 30, 25 scholarships with that laptop that she was given. And I, I just found it so beautiful because I think for most of, of the people that I know, including myself, a laptop is just something that we just take for granted. And the everyday life was like, yeah, the laptop is there. But the crazy things that we can do through it, like applying to scholarships and literally being funded to get a higher education outside of your community. And that student, they no longer, they were mentioned how they no longer had to handwrite um, their assignments in high school or carry around like USBs that would stop working from working in the library and then going home and then printing and then not having the computer at home. And, and so how laptops just help students first discover the, the college of their dreams and, and attend a full ride scholarship. So if you're listening and you're interested in learning more about the scholarship, maybe you meet the requirements. So ch check out that that awesome opportunity. So besides creating the scholarship, Daisy, you, you've been mentoring high school students through um, different organizations, the Hispanic Scholarship Fund being one of them, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so what does mentorship mean to you and what is the biggest takeaway you have attained in all these years of uh, mentoring others? Yeah, that's a great question. I have a little story for you that I think really leads into why I think mentorship and networking are, are so important. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was invited to attend a law and CSI conference. I was very interested and I still am in law. And I was so excited when I received that package. And then I opened it and it's a congratulations. You have been invited to attend this law and CSI conference. However, then I looked at the price and it was about $7,000, the conference, and then the flight. And at that moment, I was like, okay, I can't go. My mom's a single mother. There's four of us in our household. I can't afford it. And for some time, I decided to just say no. 
And then I had a really good friend, uh, Estrella. She told me one day in our chemistry class, hey, Daisy, you, you need to go. We'll sell burritos if we have to. And after she told me that, I was like, you know what? I want to go and I'm going to go. So then I went on Google. I Googled every attorney I could find in New Mexico. And I went on their website where you fill out your name, address, little comments. And I wrote an email that said like, hey, this is, this is my name. This is what it is. And I reached out asking for help, um, you know, for money. And some attorneys didn't answer, but actually the vast majority of them did. And I spent those next few months meeting over 20 attorneys from different fields. My mom driving me around town. And I got the whole trip and conference paid for, plus money to spend there. And I met great people there. And it, it really confirmed that I did have a love for law. However, the most important thing I actually learned from that experience was when I came back, I was so grateful that these people that didn't know me and really I just met and showed my grades and shared about me were like, hey, we're going to give this girl $7,000 together so she can go do this trip. So I took a bunch of pictures during the trip. I made a video two-minute video. I didn't want to overwhelm people writing a whole essay. I wrote an email to them. I sent it to them. And after that, I had some of them write back and say like, hey, let's meet up. And from that point on, since my sophomore year of college, high school, until I graduated from high school and went to college, I made about five, six key mentors that took me to law conferences in New Mexico, took me to the law school, took me out to eat. And then during college, they, they still were there being my mentors. Every time I would go home for winter break and summer break, we would meet up. We would talk about our lives, how I was doing. Many of them during those times would give me $100 and that would pay for my books. Many of them would do many things that I was so grateful for. And they are my mentors to this day. I'm doing a master's in advanced migrations right now. And even though it, it's not specifically law, they have been more than supportive because they're not only my mentors because they know I love law, but they're my mentors because they know who I am and support me. And that's how I was able to learn that, wow, if you really need help, you need to reach out because people want to help you, but they don't know it. And that's, some, that's an example of a time where I reached out without knowing anything. And I took a shot and, you know, I don't know, eight years later, here I am with really amazing mentors. And I took that with me to, to college. In college, I went to office hours. I always asked for help. I always made sure to do it because I knew someone was going to help me as long as I asked for help. So I think mentorship uh, is so important because you get to meet people that aren't just interested in you pursuing, for example, a law degree because they did a lot, but they're interested in you as a person and just being there for you. What stuck out to me in your story and the fact that you were able to attend the conference, fund your college career and, and attain all those scholarships is your proactivity and your initiative. And what I'm connecting it to is the fact that a lot of low income students have that initiative and have that tenacity 
However, they do not have the right mentor or have no mentor at all to guide them through the process and thus are unable to have access to the resources available to them. And that's another reason why mentors are so crucial. Because, for example, even in the college application process, a lot of students might have depended on their parents or their grandparents to help them through, through that um, experience. However, when your parents did not go to school in the U.S., that becomes a whole different story. And that's why it's so important to have somebody to guide you down that path. That just speaks to your passion and to the results from the mentorships that you've cultivated. And I just want to thank you for dedicating your life to making sure that these low incomes and these minority students have the opportunities, have the same opportunities that you yourself have had. And that brings us to another question, uh, Daisy. How important do you think to have a mentor that understands or a mentor that is from a similar background as yourself? I think it's essential. We'll have different mentors that look different. Uh, in different parts of your life, for example, I had some in law, I had some in college, I had some that were much closer in my age to me, some were older. So I think you have them in different areas, but it's always important to have a mentor or mentors that are similar to similar in the sense that like same background uh, and all that, because you get to see someone that, wow, like they're, they made it or they're, they're in the process because I don't know if made it is really a key word, but it's more like, wow, this person really inspires me. And I think, for example, for my mentors, uh, many of them were Latinas, maybe many of them were females. So seeing female uh, mentors in the law profession, that was so amazing to me. And now seeing female scholars in the academia world is important. And when I was with HSF, the Hispanic Scholarship Fund, I did a program called WALI, the Youth Leadership Institute, and I did it at UPenn and two years at USC, and I swear those were amazing summers that I got to spend about five days. They get 150 students, and you get familias, and I had six to seven students, and you know we were familia once, familia cinco, and you get to know each one of them, and they're coming from all over the states from different statuses, undocumented dreamers, DACA, you know, son, daughter of an immigrant, um, you know, just different areas. And I remember the first day they walk in, they're shy. And then the last day they leave, they leave with such a confidence that no matter what, they're going to apply to the school of their dreams. And if they get a no, okay, they move on and they get other results. And I remember being in a circle with one of my group and we decided to just go around and tell each other like encouraging words before we all split up. And I remember a couple of them saying like, hey, you're like the sister I never had. Or like, I've never seen another Latina in a higher education space that looks like me pursuing a higher education. And I think that's when you really see how mm -hmm. important it is for students mm -hmm. to also see themselves reflected in mm -hmm. someone else. I was definitely going to to confirm that sisterhood that you carry yourself with, Daisy, and, and the importance of, of a positive environment for sure. Um, I remember myself when I was applying to college and going out. The, men the only mentors I had really were like the counselors in high school besides my brother. 
And I remember so clearly it, this even happened in college as well as I was getting advice of what I wanted to major in of just expressing, you know, your ideas and you, I think myself coming from, from a similar background to yours, JD, um, of like, I'm going to apply to all of these scholarships and all of these colleges and many of them in the Ivy League. I probably won't get to all of them, but I don't care. I'm still going to do it because one of them has to accept me, right? And and just the, the being rational versus being realistic. You also want to have your um, your feet on the ground. You want to have your, your safe school, this and that. But also you want to like achieve for the stars, but also keep it real. I, I could definitely, definitely, that's what I made me think as I was listening to, to your story. So you are doing, like you said, they see you have a master's in advanced migration studies right now and you're in Denmark, which is so cool. And you've worked at the Center for New Americans in Massachusetts. Tell us a little bit more about your time there, um, if you were helping immigrants and refugees, what exactly were you doing there? Yeah, so I think my love uh, for studying immigration is a personal one at first, uh, and then it became, you know, an academic one. And my family, they're immigrants, and I live in a community with immigrants. And when I was in New Mexico, I thought this was a local issue. And then I went to Massachusetts study, and I started volunteering at the Center for New Americans. And I realized it was a national issue as well. So then at the Center for New Americans, I mainly, I was a legal assistant, and I helped apply to different visas. I also helped translate in Spanish because they didn't they only had one uh, Spanish speaker so it was really nice going to different towns and helping translate and then I studied abroad in Denmark for my third year in college and I was doing sociology but really with a focus in migration and that's when I realized oh wow like this is a national uh, international issue as well that led me to see that I could perhaps pursue a study uh, in maybe a master's or in law re regarding migration. And, and so based on your background, can you offer some professional insights now that you're working there in your master's on, for example, the border crisis? I'm curious. Yeah, well, I think, uh, first of all, I'm not an expert. <laughs> so that's like an important thing to distinguish. And sure. I mean, I did take a class, you know, U.S., Mexico, politics of the U.S., Mexico border. So we did stat study that immensely, and currently we're talking about borders uh, in the master's program, and that relates much more to your the European borders, external, internal borders. So there's, there's definitely a dynamic of the borders, not only physical, it's it's also psychological. Mm -hmm. It's also a border could be at an airport where you have an immigration officer asking you for documents. So I think there's a lot that could really go in but i prefer really not to go in depth on it because i don't think i have the yeah. expertise <laughs> yeah yeah of course and, and what i was going to say is that i understand where you're coming from and and yeah i appreciate your humility and admitting the fact that you don't have all the answers and you don't have all the information and completely get it but given our current political climate and the fact that big decisions are being made currently as we speak in your personal opinion, what what do you think the future holds for the U.S. and in particular the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico? That's a good question, and I'm not quite sure what the future will hold simply because there's this performance happening at the border. 
that of, oh, we're trying to keep everybody, we're trying to keep people out that don't deserve to be here, or quote unquote, have to come the legal way, where there's really no legal way for people that perhaps are trying to pursue a better life in economics terms. Even We even have asylum seekers that are being denied and being denied of their rights to be heard and have their cases heard. So I think a lot of it, people tend to say that these issues are new, especially when we have political things going on, but they have been happening for a while. And I'm not sure what will happen. The obvious hope is that there'll be a road to citizenship for dreamers, for DACA recipients, for their parents, because I think that's awful, often overshadowed. And they're like, oh yeah, they should be good. Uh, the persons that did wrong were their parents, but in reality, their parents came also seeking a better life for their children and for their families. So we really have to see what happens in that area. And of course, there has to be some systems in place. It can't just be a free-for-all. But exactly as you were saying beforehand, there has to be a space for empathy. And even more so, that empathy has to be what's leading the implementation of these systems. These people are just looking for a better life and uh, looking for a better future. And to be penalized for that is something that I just, I just can't understand. It was fascinating, though, that you, you had that opportunity to, to not only work in it locally in your hometown, but then really go and broaden your perspective nationally when you went to Massachusetts and then leave completely the U.S. and go to Scandinavia and realize, whoa, it's it's not it's it's the same thing happening all over the world, you know, and just the importance that of what that says of what we're seeing on the media and how our eyes really are such narrowed vision, um, whereas it really is like that globally. So I, I think that's an awesome opportunity that you got to see that in different areas across the world. And so speaking a little bit more on on what are your ultimate goals on in the field? Um, what do you hope to achieve or, or change? Yes. So I really quite want to address and acknowledge the privilege I've had to be able to not only leave New Mexico and study in Massachusetts at Smith College, uh, thanks to the Gates Millennium Scholarship and Smith College themselves and many other scholarships, but I've also been very privileged to even be able to travel outside the U.S. and come to a country like Denmark. So I think that's very important because many people that are born on different sides of the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, um, or are in the U.S. and are undocumented, don't get that opportunity, and many people around the world as well. For me right now, I think I'm really just seeing how I feel about my master's. Uh, if I really like the research I'm make I'm doing and I enjoy what I what I'm learning, I would hope to perhaps pursue a PhD related to migration, either in the EU or in the United States. And I'd hope to be able to be able to teach other students about migration and many issues that connect with it because migration itself does not stand alone. It it can connect to many different areas. And I'd also hope that perhaps I can work with NGOs or with governmental places that have to do with um, refugees, asylum seekers, IDPs, immigrants. So I think that's also a possibility. 
There's also the possibility of doing law and connecting it to migration. So I really think I'm very privileged and fortunate to be able to, after doing the master's, thinking of like, hey, I have a couple of options, but they're definitely always going to relate to migration and they're always going to relate to helping other students in different areas that don't have the resources to pursue a higher education. That's fascinating. No, for sure. I can't wait to hear all, all the things that you're going to accomplish even even more in the near future. Uh, we've come to the part of the interview that we label refocus questions. So we have three questions for you to wrap up the interview. Um, the first one is, what is one habit that you have that keeps you goal-oriented or focused on your goal? I think the most important habit is I have a habit of reminding myself of what my mother went through. Uh, and that always gives me a sense to never give up. So my mother uh, became a single mother at the age of 22 years old. She had three children. I was six months. My sister must have been around three and my brother two. She was undocumented and did not know any English. Yet, you know, 23 years later, here I am. And basically, I tell myself, if my mother was able to do it, I can do it. So whenever I don't want to write a paper or I don't get a job interview, or I don't get something, I know it's not the end of the world, and that you just have to keep pushing through. I I love that perspective. I love that so much. You mentioned earlier that you've been listening from the beginning, you, so you should be familiar with our five dimensions of wellness that we try to incorporate in our conversations here at Refocus, with the five dimensions being social, mental, emotional, spiritual and i always forget one i always physical. forget one barbie which one physical, okay physical, physical physical okay yeah you're right you're right so of those five dimensions which do you find the most challenges with i'm definitely trying to improve my physical uh you know try i'm playing uh soccer and trying to just do better that way because i've realized when covid happened and all of a sudden i wasn't doing any exercise because obviously we couldn't play i i became really like i was sleeping really late waking up early because i had my job at home because i, had, I was working on a laptop and i think it became very unhealthy so then i started running in the evenings like at 7 30 because it's very hot in the summers in new mexico and that really helped me uh, sleep better and it was also just really healthy in general I think I've lost a little bit of that when I came to Denmark and I'm trying to pick that up because definitely that is such an important part of life. And sometimes I get caught up with school and right now I'm volunteering at a place called Trampoline House and I'm teaching English to to immigrants, refugees and asylum seekers. And I love it. Uh, so I get caught up in a couple of things I'm doing that I forget to focus on myself and give myself that physical need I need to do. So I'm trying to work on that specifically. Yeah, that, that's definitely something that we can all relate to because the the unhealthy lifestyle you know, it just it creeped up on us. It wasn't from one day to the next that we realized that we were being unhealthy. It was just after you look back for a while, you realize, hey, I haven't been outside for a while. Yes, and I think being constant with it because I do a good job for maybe two months, but 
but then I'm like, oh, okay, I can take a break. And then I'm like, it's too cold right now. I'm like, it's too cold outside or this and that, or I have to do that. But then you soon realize like, hey, like mentally I'm a little different or physically I'm a little different. So they, I think they all intersect with each other. So if you want to have good mental state, you should work on your physical state. You know, each, each one definitely helps each other. For sure, no, a hundred percent. They're they're intertwined, without a doubt. And it's always fun to to ask that question because we it, it we never know. Um, it really because it's a personal question, right? Like all of these dimensions are really personal. You can't really tell or see a person and assume they're mental or spiritual or physical. I mean, physical, I guess, but you don't necessarily need to look good to be physically feeling good. And and it just reminds us that it <laughs> it just reminds us that. Each person is so different. Yeah, and like you were saying, it's like for me, it's it's I don't know why. I guess I'm right now I'm struggling with all five. <laughs> but it it definitely varies by person. And 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 so the last question that we have for you is what has been keeping your attention lately? I think something that because I'm uh studying advanced migration studies, something that has been keeping my attention lately is exploring who I am as the daughter of an immigrant in the United States and studying in Denmark now. Like, what does that mean? How, how is my work or my passion for immigration? How is it in New Mexico? How is it in Massachusetts? How is it in Denmark? And I think sometimes it gets a little difficult because you had told everybody and thought of yourself in one area and then all of a sudden you're like wait I can have an impact here as well so I think just exploring my identity uh, especially because it's so it's so connected to what I'm studying and how do I distance myself from the study but also I can so how do I do good research how do I read things how do I contribute to my class and to, to my classmates knowledge how do I contribute uh, and also keep myself in there. So I think there's a balance that I need to work to strike. Mm. Basically, how do you remain unbiased while making sure that your connection and your experience also shines through uh, during those discussions of your work? Yes, exactly. And in a sense, like, I don't think I would be super biased and be like, this is my experience and that's the only way it is. But in the sense that people value different type of information and some people just want the hard facts or they want the quantitative facts. Some people like qualitative. Some people are like, no, this is not part of the reading. Don't bring yourself into it. When I think people through personal experience can contribute to a certain area and go beyond what a textbook or a, a journal is. So I think, yeah, definitely finding that balance of how much do I share about myself? And then how much do I quote these, you know, uh, authors? But I definitely do know that there's no way I can detach myself uh, from the study because that's the reason I am studying it. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So Daisy, if somebody's interested in the programs that you've mentioned, either as a donor or as a recipient of the laptops for these scholarships, where can they reach you? Yes. So they can, there's a long email, but they can always email me at D-A-I-S-Y-Y-A-S-T-O-R-G-A-27 at gmail.com. You can always add me on Facebook, 
Daisy Astorga Gonzalez. And you can also go to our, we have a page, uh, Se Vale Soñar Scholarship. And we have a link and everything. And you can read about us and you can donate. Great. Awesome. Awesome. We'll definitely have all of your contact information, Daisy, on our socials. So listeners, if you haven't been following us on social media until now, please, please, please do so. Our handles are Refocus the Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you'll find us anywhere. And Daisy, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. This has been so refreshing. You truly are an amazing, a special soul. And we appreciate your presence here at Refocus. We're so, so glad to hear of the great things that you've been doing. You're truly, truly sure. thriving. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Daisy. Bye-bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time. Are you serious?